welcome to another edition issue episode of the broadcast <laughs> podcast. That's the right word. I think episode. Yeah. Yeah. Podcast a soap. <laughs> Patent you should right now. That was really good. And how are you doing? Doing really good. Good. I, I have to admit, like I know not everyone does. I really like the cold weather. Oh God, I, I don't really even know who you are right now. <laughs> oh. My people are a hearty people oh. from northern. I'm way too Mediterranean Ireland. for this. I know. It's, it's horrible. Degrees. I need a shower. <laughs> Help me. I'm so cold. <laughs> so it is the new year. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? You know what? I am going to stick up for myself more this year. That oh. really is my number one. I'm going to say no to things. I'm wow. not going to give away my time for free. No is a complete sentence. It is. I know. With an exclamation point. Ex- you do like your exclamation mm-hmm. points. I do. <laughs> Drive that point home. Yeah, I'm going to stick up for myself more this year. I think that's a good one. Yeah, I think it is because I'm bad at it. You know, well, I have been traditionally bad at it. But. It's hard. Yeah. It's, Easier said than done. Yeah. Especially if you're in a pattern of where you just sort of let things go and you're yep. it's not part of your regular routine. What about you? Uh, I think this is the year of action. I've done a lot of preparation work, usually I feel. Because usually you're such a slug. And just like, <laughs> well, I feel like I planted a lot of seeds the last couple of years on mm-hmm. projects that I want to work on mm-hmm. and things I really want to see blossom. Yeah. I feel like this is going to be a crazy year of action. So my goal is to pace myself because I have a problem with overloading my plate because I feel like I can do everything, which is why I have a cold right now. And my body sometimes just goes, no, take a seat Mm -hmm. because you need to just rest. So I need to find more time for resting um, amongst the crazy because I like to do stuff. You have a crazy year on tap too. Yeah. stuff coming up. I know. Personal and professional stuff this year. So that's that's where I'm at. But we have some goals with the the, uh, podcast as well. Did you like that segue? That was really good. You're welcome. It's like you're a pro. It's like you've done this before. <laughs> or something. Um, yeah, we have um, we have a brand new Patreon page, and we'd love if people want to support us and support the podcast and support what we're trying to do by amplifying women's voices. If you wanted to support us, um, we would appreciate it. And you can go to Patreon slash Broadcast PGH. Obviously, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can find us on social media because we're very social. Um, Twitter, we're at Broadcast PGH. Facebook, we're at the broadcast underscore PGH, and Instagram, we are the broadcast underscore PGH, and all of that is on our website, which is broadcast-podcast.com, and we always want to give a thank you, shout out to our friends at Sorgatron Media, who take good care of us and make us sound like we know what we're doing, which um, is always helpful. If you want to talk about a sponsorship, if you'd like to discuss options, we are open to discussion on many many different things. Absolutely. Yep. We um, welcome it. We welcome it. And you can drop us a line at broadcastpgh at gmail.com. That's right. Yeah. Enough of that infomercial though. Yes, Who's our guest today? Our Kim? guest today <laughs> is the fabulous Erica Strasberger. Yes. Who I, as someone applause that, track. Yeah. Again, Once again. Applause track. That should be our news resolution. <laughs> every <laughs> time. Because we, we say this, Erica, every time yeah. we have a guest and we're like, we really need an applause track. Yeah. Right. Just to applaud. So I'm sorry, but we're applauding for you in our minds. We are. In our <laughs> minds and hearts. And Erica is, she is, man, someone that I've like dealt with, but haven't really met in person, which is sort of a weird thing you can do in, in the job that I have where you're calling people and, and her job apparently. and her job too yeah <laughs> and so she's been part of she's been the chief of staff for um, councilman dan gilman for how long four years four years um that's a long time and she is running for his seat which is amazing um, because he is taking the job of chief of staff for mayor perduto so erica is running for city council well before I mean, we get into all of that which 
is crazy awesome to begin with. Can you explain to people what a chief of staff does? Because I think a lot of times, I'm just going to be real here. We hear these words. Yeah. They're all over the place. And I think it's this assumption that everyone knows what these things mean. Oh, but I actually okay. don't think that anyone knows what these things mean, except the people that are actually doing these things. So could you explain to people what it means to be somebody's chief of staff? It's a good question because it really depends on the position okay. in the office. So, you know, the chief of staff role that I've had for the last four years is not the chief of staff that you see on the West Wing, right? It's a little Aww. bit different. Man, I'm sorry. So I that hate to burst exciting. your bubble. <laughs> it's a little bit, I always like to say it's a little bit more Parks and Rec than it is West Wing. <laughs> That's um, okay. That's a good show too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, so, you know, it, for, and I would say that even, you know, the difference between a chief of staff or a council member in, mm. in the city of Pittsburgh to the mayor is vastly different too. Okay. Yeah. I am, you know, if it's called the chief of staff, well, uh, it's it's me and my coworker Hirsch right now. So really, <laughs> we were joking. It's I'm the chief of Hirsch right now. <laughs> um, but uh, it's 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 a lot. Of, it's really just doing everything, keeping the office running okay. as if uh, the council member weren't there. So which for for now, um, these next nine weeks, that's actually the case. Mm. So it's making sure that you know, obviously, that calls are being handled, that people's concerns are being handled, and that's actually a pretty big part of the job. Um, but when the council member is there, it's uh, making sure that you're standing in for meetings, that you're representing them appropriately at community meetings, um, policy and lobby meetings. It's helping with research on policy and writing the policies um, that are getting passed and proclamations, that, that sort of thing. So it's just a whole mix of things. It's just handling everything that comes your way. You're kind sort of, of like an understudy. Yeah. And I was yeah. going to go yeah, with sports exactly. analogies. So you're kind of like the quarterback right? yeah. on the team. So. It just shows you where we come I from. I like both of those. <laughs> I like both of those. Yeah. So when, when you say handling concerns that come in, what are some of the typical concerns that you would be fielding? This time of year, you know, it's seasonal. So this time of year, it's there's some some snow on the ground. It's, you know, I saw that the plow went by, but, you know, we, we live on a hill. Can we get some extra salt on our hill? Mm -hmm. Or it's, you know, my neighbor doesn't shovel their sidewalk. What can I do about it? Um, it totally runs the gamut from those to larger issues of, you know, someone moves in, buys a property next door, tears it down. Oh, I didn't know this was happening. What can I do? What are my rights as a neighbor to be able to control the process so I can uh, understand a little bit more about what's happening in development and, and zoning in the city. Um, so it's sometimes you're the mediator, you're bringing neighbors together and helping them resolve issues. So do you get a lot of, with these types of questions, I'm sure over the years, especially having done this job for four years, you've figured these things out along the way and, and now can probably recite things in your sleep that you never knew you would know so much about. But <laughs> in the beginning, was there a little bit of hold that thought I'll get back to you. I mean, and having to really research and look things up and how do people, how, how quickly is turnaround time when it comes to, you know, communication with people? Do you call people back? How does that work? Yes. So when people call us or more often email, um, the aim is to get back to people the same day. Okay. Wow. Sometimes that's impossible because sometimes you are the liaison. Right. And you are seeking answers from the person who's actually on the ground doing the work, whether that's the gas company or PWSA or whatever. And so you – it's really important to maintain relationships with those liaisons from those utilities or those organizations or, you know, the folks in DPW because – you want them to like you so that they get back to you yeah. quickly and can, then you can serve your constituents best as, as best as possible. 
So there's that. But yeah, when, when I first started, I was having flashbacks to four years ago on my first day of work because um, I had come in from the outside. I wasn't, you know, I was a relative outsider. I had never worked for an elected official. I'd never worked in City Hall before and neither had any of my coworkers that Dan hired. And it was a matter of, I mean, he, he often said he wished that he could just download his entire brain and all of the <laughs> information that he had gathered and, you know, the knowledge he had built over the last ni- previous nine years so that I could upload it. But it was a matter of just learning as I went. Right. And he was, he's so hands-on and I think con- will continue to be in his new role um, as much as possible, but was so hands-on as a councilman and so, you know, accustomed to dealing with issues that popped up that, um, you know, he was great. Any single, every single question I had, I could come to him about, and he just taught me and showed me, you know, how to serve constituents the way that they would want to be served. How do you deal with those situations where either standing in for the council person or, or, you know, if you're the person who's on the other end of the phone, where someone who's got a problem, who's angry, because I mean, you want to diffuse it. You don't want to have someone screaming at you, but at the same time, you want to make sure this person is heard. But when you have someone who's angry, I mean, a lot of times this is a legitimate concern. I have a big pothole. I have a problem with some, something was done. I don't like this project. How, when you have someone that's angry, how, what's the best way to sort of diffuse it, but also make sure that they're heard and get their problems on? Because you must deal with people who are just want to call and yell at you. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I start with is just listening mm-hmm. because half the time they have waited until it is a critical situation to call you and there's a reason they're frustrated and that's because they've tried every other avenue and they it's gotten to a, a really critical point and then they have to call you as the council office so sometimes just simply listening and letting them air their grievances and just being a sympathetic ear can do wonders because then they've gotten it off their chest they know they have an ally here. We're in it together, and we're going to work together to solve it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I approach every every problem, every situation. It doesn't always work, but ha- most of the time it does. Um, and then from there, you know, unfortunately, there are some issues that just aren't within our purview. Right. They are condo board association issues, or they yeah. are private legal matters, or unfortunately, in some cases, it, it's a case that they need to hire a plumber to deal, you know, and actually pay out of pocket to hire a lawyer or hire a plumber. And it's always bad news to have to give them that we can't serve them any more than we already have. We can offer advice, but we can't serve them. But I think people appreciate that we're straight with them Mm -hmm. in those cases. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think just treating, treating people like they're human beings and not being, and not being a a robot yourself really goes a long way. And I've trained a lot of, um, staff who have, you know, worked for us uh, in the office, a lot of interns on this same principle that just starting by listening, you don't have to apologize for the city. You don't have to apologize mm-hmm. for anything unless you actually have done something wrong, but you can, you can empathize. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's such a huge thing people think are, is missing from their government. They don't expect empathy. that necessarily is empathy that someone's going to listen to what I have to say. And what made you decide to run for city council? So after knowing what it, what it's going to entail, you've seen it for four years and you still don't see your hat in the ring. I know, I know. So my biggest decision actually came when I took the chief of staff position. Okay. Previously, I'd worked for nine years, five years in Pittsburgh, four years in New Hampshire, working as an environmental advocate. Okay. And director of, um, you know, regional director of uh, a nonprofit ag- advocacy organization, working on environmental issues ranging from 
water to air to energy. And after nine years with the same organization, I loved it, loved the people I worked with, but I wanted some sort of change. So I really did soul searching at that point. And what I determined from that soul searching and those 100 cups of coffee I had with people mm-hmm. was that I wanted to do something for Pittsburgh. I was excited uh, about um, and, and energized by this new kind of leadership in Pittsburgh I was seeing mm-hmm. and the new the direction that Pittsburgh was taking. And whether it was in government, philanthropy, nonprofit, for-profit, I wanted to be a part of that. Serendipitously, the position with Dan opened up and he he actually posted on Facebook, anyone interested in a position, <laughs> I'm looking for people. Dan. Yeah. That sounds like Dan. Um, Send me your resumes to this address. And I emailed him there and I said, let's grab a cup of coffee. And we talked and I went through the interview process and um, I was so grateful that he hired me, took a chance on someone he hadn't really worked with closely in the past. And so I think in that role, I saw, I, I really, really enjoyed that role and I saw everything that he did. I saw the impact that he made and it really wasn't until, uh, last year's elections that I decided if I ever get the opportunity to run, I feel like I have to. Mm-hmm. I, I I owe it to myself. I owe it to the people who have asked me to run in the past because even before I had the role, the role with Dan, I, people were saying, you should run for office or asking me, would you ever consider this? I think you'd be good at this. And I never really let it permeate. I never yeah. really absorbed that until last year. And yeah. then I said, no, I have to do this. So, um, Although it was a pretty quick decision this time, you know, in this instance, um, it, it had been simmering for a little while. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me because you're going to be running, I think, in a seat with big shoes to fill in the yeah. sense that Dan, whether you agree with him or not on policy, he actually did stuff, right? This guy was an actual agent for change in a lot of ways in the community. So what are going to be some of your topics that you're going to really focus on and hopefully bring to the forefront as a, as a potential city council member? Well, with my background in environmental issues, mm-hmm. um, I think I have a lot to bring on on that, on those issues. Um, it's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be limited to, you know, clean water and clean air. It's a good because, place to start, though. And that's where I am starting because, you know, that overlaps with all of our conversations about yeah. sustainability, resiliency, mm-hmm. bringing jobs to the region. There's all sorts of opportunities there. But, you know, where I'm really starting is... Let's make sure that we can provide clean water to our residents yeah. and that they can feel comfortable with the the service that they're getting and that they can, you know, have access to clean water as they should. But that's a whole larger, you know, infrastructure question and issue as well. So it it, it kind of uh, blossoms pretty quickly. So when you when you learned about the issues that were happening to the water in the city and the, and the, the issues that happened in this past year, especially where there were like boil advisories and yeah. all kinds of things, Love. what kind of... Uh, what kind of complaints or concerns were you getting from your constituents about that topic? Because that's huge. Yeah. yeah. It was everything from, I'm frustrated that I can't reach people who I need to reach mm. and get my complaints heard to, I, I'll, why are all the boil advisories happening all of a sudden? I've lived here for 30 years, yeah. oh, which yeah. there are legitimate reasons behind that. And actually, it's not a bad thing. But um, why is this happening to, you know... Many, many, many meetings and forums along in partnership with PWSA, which, by the way, has been, you know, their people, whether it's on stormwater, on, you know, emergencies or on, um, you know, the lead issue have been fantastic to deal with. And Mm -hmm. they have some really talented staff there that I've really enjoyed working with. But on any of those issues, um, 
you know, or, you know, the billing issues that yeah. still plague us from a couple of, of, of years ago, but, you know, far, far fewer calls that we're getting on billing than we had last year or two that's years good. ago. That's good. Yeah, that's really yeah. good. Because people don't um, want to pay more. So, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different issues. I think that um, what we've seen in just the last few months under the leadership of um, Bob Weimer, interim director, is the ship is starting to turn around. It's a big ship, though. It takes a, a long time to turn ship. around. It's a big ship. It's going to take a while. Yeah. And I think- Which that, is hard for people to understand, right. too. Yes. They exactly. want to see it happen tomorrow. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But if you can if you can triage it out, and we have the report, a couple of different reports. One's a blue ribbon panel, which then contracted out another report called it's by the company IMG. Anyway, it there are a lot of great recommendations. And if we can start to triage and figure out what needs to happen first and what needs to happen next and start to really turn the ship around, um, you know- it's not going to be immediate change, but we'll start to see some change. What are some of your thoughts? Like, what would you like to see take control, like happen in this issue, with this issue? There are questions about governance. So first of all, I think that the, the board should be completely separate. I agree with the report that the board should be completely separate from and removed from City Hall mm-hmm. and independent so they can be you know, independently run. Um, and what would that help to do by separating those two? I think that people would see it as an independent entity that uh-huh. controls itself rather than having influence from the mayor right. um, or, you know, city council members. Not mm-hmm. to say that the city council members who served on it weren't, aren't helpful or aren't, you know, um, contributing to the same cause, but... Be more objective. People need to be able to trust. Right. They need to have trust that there aren't political influences yeah. um, now or in the future and setting it up for success. Um, I think that the water needs to stay it's best if the water stays publicly owned and controlled rather than um having private ownership Mm -hmm. and again you know i i think it's interesting that the blue ribbon panel report distinguished between the actual functionality versus the optics and the perception they said well in terms of economics in terms of what might actually happen there's a good chance it all depends on who the actors and who who the players are Mm -hmm. and how good they are at their job but you want the public to be able to believe in yeah. and and the for people control. that might say, well, what's wrong with privatizing the water? Why why are you in support of it staying public? Or why do you think that's the best choice? Because I I think it's important for it to stay public for um, a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. One is people have people have concerns because of the history of private control of our water Mm -hmm. um and if and that actually could be duplicated again if we chose if we chose the wrong entity to control our water Mm -hmm. right or to 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 manage it uh, at different levels so it's the again it's the optics it's the it's the public trust engendering more public trust by keeping it under control of what they know second is um the reality of possibly choosing the wrong firm that does us wrong again. And yeah. I don't want to take that risk. Yeah. I think that we can control it from within. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I think, um, for better or for worse, um, a lot of people say about Dan Gilman is he has a very close relationship with Mayor Peduto. I mean, obviously he's going to run his office now. He's going to be his chief of staff. They've, they've been very you know, simpatico on a lot of issues and I think are very closely aligned as far as their philosophies and issues that they care about. Do you envision sort of continuing that if you're elected to city council? Would you envision having a, a close relationship with the mayor? I mean, what, how would you describe the the relationship you would envision as a council person representing your district and with Mayor Peduto? What would what would that look like for you? It's 
it's a little hard to predict. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that what the good news is that the mayor and Dan have a vision for the city that I share. Mm-hmm. So I think when it comes to policies that they would be pushing, I would be in lockstep with them. Yeah. I mean, I w- that was underscored by the mayor's um, inauguration sp- speech, which mm-hmm. was like a professor giving a PowerPoint. It was fantastic. And I was <laughs> eating it up. Um, and I said, yes, yes, yes. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's, there's not a whole lot of daylight when it, daylight when it comes to policies. Um, that said, you know, I would be representing, if I were to win, I would be representing um, a, a constituency that has its own needs and I would represent them no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think that all, all people are different. All people have different managerial styles yeah. and different ways of handling issues. And, um, you know, I would, um, I would be honest with them if I, if I thought that there was, you know, a way to handle something or an issue that perhaps I didn't agree with yeah. and try to work that out. Yeah. And so you mentioned that the sort of light bulb went off for you, um, during last year's election. And so what, tell us, um, kind of, you're going to be part of this sort of this wave of women, hopefully, who are moving into um, running for office. Whether or not all these women are going to be elected, you know, we'll see. But you're you're kind of part of a wave right now. Do you? How do you see that? I mean, you don't want to necessarily be just part of a a fad or something that's going to peter out. Do you see that as a sustainable thing? The women are at this point where they're going to move forward. They're going to run for office. They're going to be more visible, vocal. Um, you know, the more you see it, though, the more you see the it, the more normalizing yeah. it gets, right? right? So yes. you're really pioneers right now, this yeah. wave, in my opinion. Yeah, because you, we've not seen this kind of right. this kind of for movement. running for office. Yeah. So in a sense, the first wave is is you ladies, yes. right. you know. Right. And I, if you see it, you can do it. So yeah. And my question is, do you feel the sort of added pressure of that of being some of the, <laughs> yeah. you're this pioneer, <laughs> you're you're a woman running for As office. As I say that, right. So no so, pressure. So, you're a pioneer. <laughs> For so, change. So go pioneer right now. So how do you, how do you like deal with that added pressure? There's, there's a little bit more spotlight on female candidates for better or for worse. And more scrutiny. And more scrutiny. There's and, always more scrutiny on women in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. so how do you, you know, do you feel the added pressure of that kind of being part of this? Tell us right wave? now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that, you know, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And so there's so many examples of women who have come before us who had to deal with so much more in terms of sexism or misogyny mm-hmm. who have had, you know, mm-hmm. public off held public office or have been leaders in the community in yeah. other ways. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if I, regardless of what happens in the future, what happens in my life, if I were to win this position, I would do everything possible to continue to boost up emerging leaders and to highlight women leaders who already exist. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of ways I could do that. I could do that by, you know, in the hiring choices in my own office with interns and staff. I could also do that with asking questions, you know, through the bully pulpit, asking questions about board appointees mm-hmm. or um, committees or task forces or that sort of thing. Um, and speaking up when I see that there isn't equal representation um, through personal connections with people urging other women to run for office if they if they seem likely candidates and you know um, I would want to support them so you know to to your point of keeping the maintaining this momentum obviously this is a sea change moment and we're not going to experience this sort of excitement forever but um, you can continue it by continuing to just boost up the next generation of women or not even the next generation I mean existing 
leaders who yeah. just have never been inspired before and making sure that they are, uh, they get the support that they need. And do you, um, do you, you know, think that there's never... extra challenges running for office as a woman? I think historically there have been. Um, I think in my particular case in the district I'm running in and at this moment in history, I don't see it as a hindrance as mm-hmm. much as it has been, but I, I completely feel that it has been um, for many women in many races and in many instances. Uh, it has been for so many reasons that I'm sure are obvious to a lot of the listeners. I mean, it's um, it's even just the sheer inability to say to, you know, whoever influential guy who may be able to help you in your campaign, like, hey, let's grab a beer mm. and let's talk this over a drink. Yeah. The innuendo that that creates, yeah. um, you know, like like male candidates could very easily do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think about how much of, I mean, I think about Harrisburg and how much of the kind of schmoozing and deal making and whatever conversations are had at the bar after work. Yeah. And meanwhile, a lot of the female female representatives, senators, they're driving home to their families. So yeah. there's, it's not just a, a candidacy. It's a, it's a, you know, actual representation issue. Again, I think there's less of that in this particular race that I'm feeling so far, but, mm-hmm. um, um, but I understand a lot of the challenges and I, we're just scratching the surface with some of those examples. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you alluded to the sort of problem of female representation in Pennsylvania that we're, I think, 49th in terms of parity in our, in our legislature, you know, how do we, you know, and women pe- of color, even, Oh, women, yeah. yeah. LGBT <laughs> women, there's just within the female mm-hmm. you know, diaspora, there's so little representation for anyone. So how do we then, you know, Pittsburgh is, you know, where I keep saying we're this little blue dot in this now very sort of red state after the last presidential election. How do we, uh, you know, getting women on city council, getting women on school boards, how do we also get women to feel like they can, challenge um state representative they can challenge and, and be part of the, the legislature i mean we tend to favor incumbency we tend to favor you know the more traditional candidates who are endorsed by the traditional candidates that we know that a lot of women aren't necessarily known so if you're if you're we're going to give advice to a woman who's thinking about running for office i don't have you know connections i don't have enough money i don't there's obviously resources available and they're more sort of visible now what advice would you give to someone who's thinking about running for office but maybe isn't sure if she's, you know, if Pennsylvania is going to be the place where we do it. Well, I would say the first thing to do is just to really get involved in your community. Um, a lot of women are already, and they don't realize the network that they have. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're thinking about it, I would say first, you know, whatever that looks like, coaching a team, you know, uh, your kids, whatever team, your know, swim team, um, uh, getting involved on a committee for your school, Um it could be, you know, volunteering for a committee for your city if your city is small enough. I um, mean, there's so many ways you can get involved. Um, you know, I chose to join the board of the Squirrel Hill Urban Coalition because I love where I live. I love Squirrel Hill. I am passionate about, you know, keeping it um, vibrant. And that was one way I met people. But there's lots of other examples of that. So that you know, I mean, because it's all about relationships. So if you have relationships, regardless of incumbency regardless of um kind of entrenched institutional powers i think that you you can start to chip away at that at that and then once you have sort of the you've laid the groundwork there and maybe you've gone to through one of the many many programs and classes that mm-hmm. train women how to run for office and how to start to establish themselves you can think about running and 
once you have decided that you do want to run, um, there are lots of resources that you can um, that you can take advantage of. And I think what people need to realize is that oftentimes the first time you run, especially if it's one of those examples that you gave, that is, you know, there is a strong incumbent, maybe you're a relative unknown, you don't have the institutional support or backing. The first time you run, you might not win, but you've gotten your name on the map. Yeah. And if you are ready to, you know, invest more in this, you run a second time, you run a third time. If you if you feel like the politics are right and the district is ready for you and this is the right position for you, you know, you keep trying. Eventually, you're going to get somewhere. So we've been asking, to wrap it up, we've been asking people about their resolutions. But for you, I'd like to ask you, what is a resolution you'd like to see happen for Pittsburgh for the new year? That is a great question. Um, well, we talked a lot about water. Another part of what I'm really interested in is equity. Mm. Um, and that means it's such a broad topic. It affects all parts of civic life. It's housing equity, making sure that there are, are an array of housing options near city centers and transit centers, no matter you know where you want to live. It is making sure that you can get a job, that your business can get chosen as a, co a contractor of the city if you're a minority or women-owned business. I mean, there's so many ways that it, it, it affects you. Um, you know, mobility, the way that you move through the city, but also means social mobility too. So um, that's something I'm fo focusing on in my campaign, but it's, it's, it's what I want Pittsburgh to continue to hammer away at because I know that there are good people thinking about this and we just have to continue to do better. We have to make sure that the rising tide lifts all boats in Pittsburgh as we grow as quickly or as slowly as we might grow in the next couple of years. Um, we have to make sure that the that those who are being left behind right now are are not and that they stay in the city and are able to do so. So that's my that's my resolution for Pittsburgh for myself as, as someone who can hopefully influence that in the future that um, we can we can we can bring more equity to the city. Equity sounds like a good New Year's it resolution sure in general. Is. Thank you yeah. so much for Everyone being on the show. Possible. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.